This is Connected to Chicago with Bill Cameron. What's going on in Chicago? What the hell is going on? Covering the big ideas. If you do not feel well, for God's sake, stay home. Save a lot. The tough choices. Guacamole? No, I like guacamole. And the only three ways a Chicago alderman leaves the city council. The ballot box, the jury box, or the pine box. Now, Bill Cameron. Luis Gutierrez is here. He's the former congressman who crusades for immigration reform. Luis, welcome back. Hey, thanks a lot. I'm happy to be back talking to you, Bill. We should talk about the most important thing, new thing in your life right now, and that's a new grandchild. What's what's up there? Yeah. it's uh, You know, somebody asked me, uh, hey, Gutierrez, you still popular? <laughs> Come back. And people want to run it down to it. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, both of my daughters named their first sons <laughs> after me. I have two Luises as grandsons. Uh, I think uh, that's the only popularity contest I want to win. Um, I'm very, very grateful to my two daughters, and I have two beautiful grandsons. Obviously, Luis David uh, was born on Tuesday, and we're having a great time with him. He's going to have... So much, uh, how would I say, so much attention, so much love, so much nurturing. Uh, it's what children need, and I'm happy to be a nurturer. Speaking of kids, Luis, uh, how do you like the way Joe Biden is handling kids at the border after the way Donald Trump handled them? You know, they're opening up more and more facilities. Obviously, this was an inherited problem. Do the drug traffickers, do the human smuggling change, do the people who really run the triangle countries. I mean, let's face it. Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador are, are not run by the government elected by the people. Um, you want to talk about a deep state running it. Well, it's cartels. And they're obviously exploiting it, right? But I'm happy to see that the first children have been reunited with their parents that were separated. Uh, by Donald Trump and obviously the attorney, his attorney general, who said, I'm using this as a means to stop them from wanting to come to the United States. So if you fear for your life, if, if you're trying to seek refuge in the United States, we're going to take away your children. So, I, look, overall, I have to say I'm pretty happy uh, with him. Now, got to say this. He had better do comprehensive immigration reform. And he had better do what he needs to do as president of the United States or the Democrats are going to face just such great disillusionment, but also political backlash. What do I mean by that? If you look right now at Latinos, right, especially those that voted for Biden, they're split. Half of the Latinos say if there's not immigration reform, it's the Democrats that we're going to hold responsible, even though we all know that Mitch McConnell and the right-wing uh, new set of leaders in the House of Representatives will not lift a finger for it. We will be held responsible. People aren't stupid. They understand budget reconciliation. They understand that Barack Obama used it to pass the Affordable Care Act. They understand that they may use it again in order to pass the infrastructure program. And they're saying, when do we become a priority that is as important to the Democrats as uh, 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 the Affordable Care Act 
and or other issues in which they're going to use um, budget reconciliation. And budget reconciliation, just for the public, means it takes 50 votes and Vice President Harris shows up and that's it. There's no filibuster under budget reconciliation. Yeah. Now, now, Luis, what should immigration reform look like? Ah, immigration reform should look like this. It should give a pathway, a pathway. That doesn't mean you sign up and tomorrow you're a citizen. You know who did that, Bill? I'm going to tell you who did that. Ronald Reagan, 1986, Immigration Reform and Control Act. Nearly 4 million people um, were legalized under that program. Five years later, they could begin to apply for American citizenship. And they got their green cards immediately. So here's what I say. Legalize them, right? Put them on the books. Take them through a background check so that we don't let anybody in the line, right? Uh, They shouldn't be in the line. Um, um, And so that we take criminal elements and exclude them, right? Number one. So put them in the line, go through a background check. And me, I start saying, let's spend money on civics classes and English classes and have them enroll in them so that seven, eight, whatever number of years we want to say they can then apply for American citizenship. I don't, I, I, it's, it's not about assimilation, but it is about their integration into our society. I want people to keep continuing being who they are, right? I want them to use their culture, their language, their idiosyncrasies, but I do want them to fundamentally integrate themselves. And you can integrate without assimilating. And I say that today because I have the, I, I represent the 4th Congressional District. I assure you, you and I can go out and continue to hear Ukrainian and Polish and Italian, and we continue, continue to hear those languages. And, and to me, they're nothing but but a but a melody of beauty. Now, Joe Biden will want to negotiate with the other side because he's all about bipartisan solutions. And if he goes that route, Luis, what is doable in the area of immigration reform? I think what's doable is, number one, love, Bill. The country is already seen over a million dreamers under Barack Obama's uh, executive order. Uh, it was called DACA. Um, he's seen that executive order, which let people who were young, came here as children, when they reach the age of 14, they got to be going to school, right? Um, and uh, they got to be going to high school. They have to be going to college, adjust their status, and get work permit, right? Great. And they pay their way. And, yes, just for all of those who are wondering, even though they are paying taxes, even though they are contributing, they get absolutely no benefits from the federal government. But – allows them to work their way through college, number one. So I think they're clearly there. I I can't see why, especially, you talk about essential workers. Bill, you and I go to any grocery stores. We won't name any of them here today, but we all know who we're talking about. Go to your favorite grocery store. When you go to that produce section, I'll tell you which hands pick that food. Those are hands that came from, not from the United States of America. Those are hands that came from foreign countries. So, Do you want your food picked by foreign hands in a foreign country? Or do you want to continue to maintain, I mean, one of the greatest independents, right, that the United States has? And that's to our food. Not only do we have enough for ourselves, but we can also export it. So we should give those ag workers, those essential workers, 
And then we should look at essential workers across this country and say, give them an opportunity. And that's all it is. I kind of look at it this way, Bill. When they created the Fourth Congressional District back in 92, everybody says, oh, that's a slam dunk. That now it has to be a Latino that gets the fourth congressional district. Well, Dick Mel didn't think so uh, until he thought so, <laughs> until he got a reality check. But my point to you is it's not a guarantee, it's an opportunity. Let's give them the opportunity that they deserve if they can show they've been working hard, paying taxes, and, 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 staying, uh, um, and staying clean. There should be a pathway for them to stay in this country. Now, how worried are you about Trump? Will he make a big issue of this and prevent it, or is he fading? Well, that's why I think um, we all know his position, um, and we all know that the glue to the Republican Party, you keep hearing them, right? They said, how can we do comprehensive immigration reform when we have chaos at the border, when it's chaos at the border. First, we need to bring control to the border before we have immigration reform. Well, Bill, if that was true, why is it when Trump was president, we didn't immigration reform, right? Because you, they're going to tell you there wasn't chaos at their border. There was, but they're going to say there wasn't. Okay, I'll take there wasn't chaos. Why didn't we do? Because you don't want to do comprehensive immigration reform. Because being anti-immigrant, being xenophobic, is part of the glue that keeps you together. And that's unfortunate. But here's the thing. The majority of the American public wants immigration reform with a pathway to citizenship. The majority of the American public wants that. The problem is they don't quite represent the majority of the American people um, in their in their legislative uh, agenda. So will he make us think about it? Probably will. But I got to tell you, Democrats have to say this time, we're going to get this done. You can't keep promising the immigrant community justice and fairness and that community watch you, right, uh, pass different legislation and overcome the filibuster by using budget reconciliation and not use it for them. Uh, and so it's on us. We've campaigned on it. We can say that the Republicans stonewalled it. But, Bill, you and I both know we got 51 votes in the Senate and we have 220. And I'm just going to real quickly say, we better get it done now, because anybody that believes that it's a certainty that Democrats are going to be in charge of the House of Representatives, not the Senate, but the House of Representatives after the next um, election cycle, wow, that's going to be very, very difficult to accomplish. Remember, we got redistricting, and we have gerrymandering and the redistricting, and if there is one group of people that is excellent at gerrymandering, especially in Texas and in and in Florida, where they control the legislative branch of government, it's the Republican Party. We only, what is it now? Uh, it's only a six-vote majority that can vanquish, that can vanish quickly. So let's get it done now. The things we want to get done, let's get them done now. We're talking issues with Luis Gutierrez, the former congressman. Uh, Luis, I saw you picking a fight with the state's attorney, Kim Fox, the other day, and then with John Canzara, the FOP president. What's that all about? Well, Look, I thought I had to speak out because back when it was revealed to us and we were shown the videotape of the murder, and I can say murder because someone was convicted of murder in the death of Laquan McDonald, and I said, wow, the state's attorney's office withheld that, saw it, and withheld that and didn't pursue it. But as soon as it was revealed, they indicted the police officer, which means 
they knew it was murder a year ago, and they weren't going to do anything about it if it hadn't been revealed, thanks to the work of a journalist who finally got the tape revealed to the American public. Well, you know what? I stood next to Kim Fox, and I said, I believe you should be the next attorney, uh, state's attorney, and I campaigned for her, and I expect her to understand that if she came into office because someone, and primarily it was Laquan McDonald's murder that led her uh, to her victory, if that's what galvanized the city of Chicago and the county of Cook, how can you tell us you didn't see the tape? How can you tell us now that of your 13 top top prosecutors, these are the, the district chiefs, right? These are the top supervisors in the court, 13 of them. Not one is a Latina. Not one. Not one is a Latino in the county of Cook. No wonder no one ever brought it to your attention. So I think people have to uh, be held responsible. I'm looking forward to talking to her. She was very kind and generous in calling me back, and I'm looking forward to sitting down with her. Um, and so I had, uh, I had some very clear words, and I hope that this will lead us uh, and lead her uh, to be more active in the Latino community and, um, and to see us as equal to everyone else. She should not have not seen that, that, that film of a 13-year-old child being shot by the Chicago police. Yeah, how, how do you think that's being handled, and what should be done to reform that process? Yeah. What chases? Well, the, fir- the first thing is, remember, Bill, after the murder of Laquan McDonald, the Justice Department intervened with the Chicago Police Department, right? And after their intervention, one of the first things they said, they wrote, right, is too many people are dying unnecessarily in foot chases in the city of Chicago. That needs to be changed and reformed. Bill, two years later, nothing's happened. Nothing's happened. We're still discussing and debating it. It should happen. We should have new policies. Why do we have the Justice Department come here, evaluate our police department, make recommendations that are going to keep the people safe, and then not follow up on those recommendations? And I think, see, we just have to reimagine, rethink, not defund, not defund, reimagine, rethink how it is. I, for one, will tell you, I think some group of people, right, some entity has to start going to high schools and recruiting young women and young men who want to be in law enforcement and tell them it's okay. It's a great career. We want you to be public servants. And instead of looking at you as police officers, we want to look at you as officers of the peace, keeping the peace in our community. And just, and parallel to that, and it's a discussion I'm going to have with um, just a wonderful uh, group of leaders in the Latino community next week. Um, We want to talk about how it is we reform the police, but we also want to talk about how we end the violence in our communities. Because we started this program today by talking about me and my grandson. And I held him in my arms. And and I have to tell you, Bill, all I thought about was the lives that were lost. You know, Mm -hmm. somebody held those children in their arms. There were somebody's babies. There were somebody's children. There was somebody's future they were looking at. And, and the violence that is ravaging um, the city of Chicago and across the country 
We need to respond to that, too. We need to respond to the violence of the institutional violence against our community by the Chicago Police Department. But we also need to deal with the violence that occurs in our own communities. Now, Mayor Lightfoot keeps delaying a proposal on various police reform pieces. How do you think she's doing so far? You know, I think she's doing a lot of things right. Um, I'm looking, again, I I am looking forward, Bill, to have a conversation with her um, so that we can talk um, uh, some issues. Um, And so I think, look, everybody can do better, right? And I'm here um, to be as helpful and productive as I can. I think I have ideas. Um, I've worked with, wow, thinking about it, right? I mean, I worked with Harold Washington. Well, I can't say I worked with Sawyer since I worked really hard to get him out of office after he became. But you get my point. Daly, Rahm Emanuel. And and I got my start at City Hall. People think of me as Congressman Luis Gutierrez, and they forget about the seven years. Not you. (laughs) But many in the general public see my public service as being in Congress. I was in City Council for seven years. And... One of the good things is I'm not running for elected office. So it really does free me to speak my mind and to try to bring together groups of people who may not be talking to one another and see if we can't take those disparate views they have on how it is we reform our police department, but also also how it is we end the violence every day picking up a newspaper it's a three-year-old, a six-year-old, a seven-year-old, That's, but also a 17, a 2017-year-old. People shot and murdered each and every week in the city of Chicago, and summer's coming, and the masks are off, and we've just got to be ready to save lives. And there's got to be something we can do about it. Do I have the answer? Do I have the magic bullet? No. But the first thing you have to do is say it's our responsibility to deal with it, not just the government's responsibility, not just Mayor Lightfoot's responsibility, but the people in the neighborhoods who care about the importance of life in those neighborhoods. Let's begin to, to – I don't have the answer, Bill. I don't have the magic bullet, but I know that if we don't have a conversation and a dialogue, we never will reach one. Luis, i got to say, you sound like you're making your quadrennial hint that you're going to run for mayor. Well, I'm not – um, I'm not. I, I I I love being grandpa. It's it's the best job in the world. Um, I want to make sure that Luis David. Let's say I last another 15 years, right? So he's a high school, and you know, hey, I'll be 87 years old if I if I get there with him in high school. That's a pretty uh, tall order. <laughs> but let's say that happens. Uh, I, I I want to have spent lots of time with him and lots of time as my, I, I, I posted something with my daughter. I said, and here is my oldest daughter. She called me up. She says, you're making me sound like a senior citizen. Change that to your firstborn. <laughs> and so whether it's my firstborn or my uh, grandson or my second, um, I want to spend more time with them. But I also want to be engaged in the day-to-day life of the people of the city of Chicago and in our country. Uh, I, I want to work on that. And so I'll be calling you soon because in July we should have a breakout moment where you're going to see what I'm doing around immigration as I put together a group of people to help people 
navigate the immigration system as it exists today. So you're ruling yourself out for mayor? Yes, I'm ruling myself out. It's not something I want to do. It's not something I want to do. I, I, Bill, I spent seven years in the city council and 26 years in the Congress of the United States. And you said that I was an advocate for immigration reform. Yeah, I was a national advocate. I traveled all over this country, week in and week out. I once counted, right, 26 years in Congress. That means I spent 11 years of those 26 years, I didn't sleep in my house. I wasn't with my family, 11 of those 26 years. Why? Because I was in Congress. My family was in Chicago, or I was traveling to California or Oregon or giving a speech in South Carolina or in Charlotte. I was doing something to promote immigration reform and fighting for immigrant rights in this country. Um, I've, I've given those 11 years. I want to spend lots of time, I assure you, uh, here in the city of Chicago working. Yes, working. I'm not saying I'm, I'm walking away from, from working and helping, but not, not in an elected office. It's not, I've done that. Been there. Thanks, Bill. That's Congressman, uh, former Congressman Luis Gutierrez. Luis, thanks for being with us again. Look forward to it. Let's do it again. Talk to you, Bill. This is Connected to Chicago with Bill Cameron. A look at the top stories of the week with the people making, covering, and talking about the news of the day. Podcasts are available online at WLSAM.com. Now, Bill Cameron. Time for the roundtable where we just get to tell the truth with Lynn Sweet of the Sun-Times. Hey, Lynn. Hi, everyone. Greg Hines of Cranes. Hey, Greg. Hey, Bill. Ray Long of the Tribune. Hey, Ray. Hey, hey, Bill. And Heather Sharon of WTTW. Hey, Heather. Hey, Bill. Hey, gang. The, the bridge phase is here, but I'm not doing much. I might not wear a mask out in public, but if I'm close to somebody outside the house... I think I'll keep the mask on, even though I'm fully vaccinated. How about you, Lynn? Are you changing your uh, life at all? Well, I will still be cautious. Uh, I, you know, outside I have been wearing a mask, and now I, I won't. Uh, I don't think I, w- I would not go to a large gathering. I, I, I would go if a few people are coming over or I'm going over to someone's house, and they're fully vaccinated, and they don't leave a lot of lifestyle, maybe they're not going to bars with unvaccinated people at night, yeah, I'll go with the guidance. But okay. I, I'm i not going to go to real crowded places. Yeah. But Ray, I have a healthy respect for those COVID variants. How about you? Yeah, I'm still pretty cautious about it. I'm looking at the numbers today that came out of the state. There were 49 deaths from COVID. There were uh, hundreds of people in the ICU and hundreds of people in uh on ventilators, and there was like seventeen or eighteen hundred people in hospitals with COVID in Illinois. And so, uh, you know, I totally get that everybody's tired of this thing, but I expected them to wait a little longer to declare it more closely to be stamped out in total, rather than uh, well, the numbers are going down, everything's going down, so let's free things up. Greg, are you fully vaccinated? I I, I am indeed, and uh, I share with uh, with Lynn and Ray uh, the uh, yeah a little bit, but not everything quite now. Um, I don't have a problem with going to a restaurant uh, as long as there's, there's space there. Um, uh, I don't have a problem 
going to work and being in the office. I've been doing that all along. Um, I'm a little reluctant to say get in a crowded CTA car. I'm going to pull out the mask, I think. Uh, and uh, going to a, going to a crowded bar where there's all kinds of people breathing in your face is uh, that's going to have to wait for a while. Um, <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah, you know, you know, you know, we're getting there. Um, what would make me feel a little better, Bill, is if is if. Uh, We'd get over this vaccination hump. Uh, it's 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 slower again uh, as we tape this on Friday. Only only fifty thousand in the in the state were vaccinated yesterday. The couple three weeks ago was like one hundred and thirty thousand, and we're still only vaccinated a little over half of the eligible population. Uh, I'd feel a lot better if it were seventy or eighty, uh, but uh, clearly, despite inducements like these fifty thousand free tickets to Great America that we're offering this week, haven't turned the trick yet. Uh, it's going to be a little harder every day now to get the people who are left to to, to finish the job. How about you, Heather? Is your life changing? It has not. As we tape this on Friday, the state and city mask mandates are still in place, although we expect Governor Pritzker and Mayor Lightfoot to adjust that, um, if if not Friday, certainly next week. Uh, But we still have to wear masks on public transportation, regardless of whether we're fully vaccinated or not. And I think that it's going to take a little bit of time for people mentally to catch up to what we know the science is right now in that asymptomatic infections do not spread from vaccinated people to unvaccinated people. There's there's no evidence that that has ever happened. And that, I think, got a little bit lost yesterday in the CDC announcement that we know more about how the vaccine not only prevents the person who has had the vaccine from getting sick, but also transmitting the virus. And I think that's crucial. However, we should also keep in mind that there are plenty of people out there who have cancer and other existing health conditions whose immune systems are compromised and are more vulnerable and are more likely to be those exceptions to the rule. So um, I think it was more aggressive than I was expecting from the, the federal government yesterday, but it's no doubt a relief to people who felt like the pandemic was never going to end. Speaking of health, we lost Dick Kay this week at the age of 84 to a brain hemorrhage. I guess looking back on our former colleague on the beat, my favorite quote from uh, Doogie was uh, whenever a competitor had uh, claimed an exclusive, he would always say, oh, hell, I had that story two weeks ago. (laughs) (laughs) Greg, how will you remember Dick Kay? Uh, Dick was a uh, force of nature, Bill. He was a, a bulldog journalist of the old style. I mean that as a, as a compliment. Uh, uh, you know, uh, the danger in our profession has always been to to get a little lazy, to play it safe, to pull your punches, and uh, and uh, and not go the extra mile. And Dick did, did anything but. You knew where he was coming from. Uh, you knew what he believed and whatever. Um, and uh, he'd do it to a fault, even if, I have to say, uh, back in the day, uh, trying to get in a question at a press conference, if Dick Kay wanted to go first or Andy Shaw, uh, who was his contemporary, wanted to go first, it was almost impossible for us little guys <laughs> with, with normal-sized voices. You'd have to wait a half an hour, but that's okay, because uh, you know, Dick was uh, headed in the right direction. He knew what he wanted. Yeah, Ray, as I recall, that... Uh Tennessee twang in his uh, loud voice was something that commanded an answer from a politician, didn't it? 
Yeah, he had a he had a certain style for sure. I mean, the voice uh, was booming, and he could uh, shout us all down uh, if he really wanted to. And uh, but he did it to get the answers that he needed to get, and that's what we're all ultimately after—the truth and the answers. And and that's uh, his style of doing it, and that's the way he did it. And he's remembered for many good stories over the years. Lynn, how about you? Any recollections of Dick Kay? Well, sure. I mean, he, he not only had uh, a commanding voice, he had a commanding presence because he was taller than most of us. So if he stood in front of me in a scrum, uh, I really had a voice just, <laughs> you know, just to get a question in. But what he really had was deep institutional knowledge uh, about who was who in Chicago politics and state politics. And that often goes a long way in understanding what's going on and what's important and what is not on these things and uh you know that that's how i remember him i also if i'm remembering right he had a a public affairs show a political show that i would be on from time to time and uh it was always very informative uh he had a way of asking the if he did start off a press conference and there was a hot story of the day uh he had the knack of asking the right question first so we would get the news out of the way uh and you know, have, have nailed down what the, whatever the it was of the day, and then we would all you know do the follow-ups on that. So, uh, yeah, and he actually uh, in his later years he he showed his hand. So many of us uh, do not outwardly kind of proclaim sides or take sides, and he he showed his. Uh, you know, when he went to work for the progressive radio station, he had more of a point of view, and uh, he had a, a following. Too, that he took with in his in his second chapter. Heather, I'm guessing you knew Dick Kay more by reputation than in person. Any thoughts? That's right. He was one of the people I watched on television every night. I was constantly amazed at his ability to ex- ask exactly the right question to set the interview off in the way to make the most news possible. And uh, he and, and my former colleague, Carol Marine at WTTW, were just two of the best, and I always felt honored to be able to follow in, in his footsteps. He, he is, There's never going to be another reporter like him. Hey, Ray, the mayor has apparently canceled her Tribune subscription. What's this all about, and do you have a message for her? Well, she said she said sign back up if she wants to know what's going on, because uh, if you don't have every news source in town and you're not paying attention to enough uh, news. And um, I guess uh, she was upset with a story that uh, we did that uh, she had said uh, that uh, she wasn't going to be cracking down on parking tickets when uh, the pandemic was going on. And uh, we had some great reporters go out and check and she was cracking down on parking tickets while the pandemic was going on. So uh, she thought uh, that was uh, unfair and, uh, and um, just a, uh, not the kind of thing she wanted to see, apparently, in the in the Tribune. But it's a position that you're going to be up for uh, reporters holding you to what you say you're going to do. And she uh, didn't like it. Greg wants to tell you that Lori Lightfoot would cancel her Trib subscription. Well, you know, 
I don't li- I don't really like to talk most of the time, Bill, about uh, about uh, shop talk. I don't think most readers really care. They have problems at their jobs. We have problems at ours. But uh, uh, but this. Uh, uh, th- like the difficulty with the media and her calling out and getting in fights with people, and frankly, very much like Donald Trump would have in some ways, um, is is become part of a trend. It's part of a bigger picture. We have that. We have. Uh, I did it, and a, and a colleague of mine, Andy Quig, have a big uh, look of it. Uh, Mayor Lightfoot at two years. Uh, that's in the uh, the new issue, or it's online at ChicagoBusiness.com. If I can give a commercial, people want to go see it. Uh, go read it. Uh, and one of the things we quickly found, and it's a very widely held opinion, is that this mayor, uh, although she's passionate and she has some good ideas and she's done some wonderful things and she has some real accomplishments, gets in her own way sometimes, uh, too often, and makes enemies that she doesn't mean, need to make. I mean, if you're going to be in politics and you're going to be in government, you're going to have to compromise. You're going to have to take criticism. You're going to have to deal with people who don't like you. And you can't just go into a snit and not, and refuse to deal with them and cancel your subscription or uh, or, or other things. And you know, after two years, I would have hoped that this mayor would have started to learn those lessons because it's part of the job. And, and she's still having a problem. How about that, Lynn? Is uh, Lori Lightfoot like Donald Trump in this way? Oh, you, you, it is no way comparable on that point. Uh, so I want to point out on her uh, saying she's canceling the subscription. I think the practical matter there was more symbolic than practical. She has a whole big press office, and I would imagine that people do press clips, and if there's stories about City Hall, she will get them one way or the other. So it was just the uh, enormity of her frustration on it. You know, I believe from what I uh, actually have heard uh, that she believes some reporters just don't like her. And she believes that colors the coverage. Now, having said that, it doesn't mean that you act, you know, that it matters. Because as Greg just said, you have to have a thick skin in this job. And she will mark her two-year anniversary this coming week on May 20th, on Thursday, uh, I think that the things that she and the press may care about may not necessarily reflect in the long term if she could solve the problems. Okay, it's not that she didn't, you know, if in the end the people who got tickets when they said they weren't, if they had avoided, that's, yeah, the, the issue with her is, she can't prevent problems from happening or some mistakes that there are on her watch, but what does she do to fix it once it happens? And that's where I would say if, if there's a, if there's a thing to talk about here, it's, it's that not, you know, not whether she uh, had that subscription. And by the way, so all this news comes from these hacked emails too. Uh, and, I don't know why anyone writes anything knowing in City Hall that all these uh, <laughs> emails, even if they're not hacked, are subject to Freedom of Information Act. I don't know why anyone writes anything like that down. Yeah, Bill, let me pick up on, on that just a little bit. Uh, Lynn is right that uh, it's not uh, how this affects us. It's the business that uh, people care about. It's how it affects the performance of the public official. I mean, if you look at what the mayor has been able to get done in Springfield, if you look at her continuing war with the Chicago Teachers Union, which has slowed down the reopening of Chicago public schools, uh, there's other areas I could point to. All this affects your performance at some point. 
and your ability to deliver for your constituents. Heather, how about you? Uh, what do you make of uh, Lightfoot canceling a trip subscription? Well, I think Greg is right that we have to be careful to not gaze too deeply into our own navel because uh, regular people, as I like to call them, don't care about this sort of thing. They want to know what the policies that the mayor is, is backing and implementing and what that means for their lives. But I think that Greg is also correct that it indicates that when she feels that she has been mistreated or misunderstood or mischaracterized, she has a tendency to lash out and you don't need to read her hacked emails to see that um just this week i had asked the mayor about the uh her decision to indefinitely delay a permit for a metal scrapper on the southeast side that has been the subject of intense controversy um after a recommendation from the u.s epa after months of community groups calling for the exact same thing for the exact same reason. And I didn't really get an answer to my question because she disputed the premise of the question rather than addressing it directly because, of course, she didn't necessarily want to address the, the question. But that sort of interaction between the mayor and the, the news media has been pretty consistent during her two years in office. And I think the question is, um, does it make it more difficult for us to figure out how tax dollars are being spent and what that what those policies mean for Chicagoans? It, it absolutely does. Um, should we be focused um, on what that means for our daily lives? No, but we have to keep the focus on, on what it means for Chicagoans and how their tax dollars are spent. Hey, Lynn. I want to jump in and make one other point, especially to contrast sure. where I work in Washington. So you may, I'm, I'm hearing from my uh, esteemed colleagues certain complaints, but you got to hand it to the mayor because she goes and has events, she takes questions, she has availabilities. Okay, I live in a world where it, it just isn't that easy to see the to see the newsmaker themselves all the time. So I do appreciate that you might not like how she handles the press, but at least she makes herself available. Uh, on a on a usual basis. I'm not talking about sit down exclusives, but just if you show up at something she's at or at a Zoom thing, you have a shot at least of getting your question asked. And Lynn, out on your beat in Washington this week, the House Republicans ousted Liz Cheney from the number three leadership spot. Uh, what I'm curious about is how the Republicans, like Rodney Davis, uh, voted on that matter. And here's to your point. I have been sending constant emails and texts to uh, Rodney Davis's press person who, who decided not to reply. So here's what we know, though, what happened. We have five Illinois Republicans. Adam Kinzinger was supportive very publicly for Liz Cheney. Mary Miller, a freshman from downstate, was against Liz Cheney. It was a voice vote, so according to published reports, Rodney Davis and Darren LaHood missed the vote because uh, Kevin McCarthy gaveled it through real quick, but they gave comments that seemed to be supportive of Liz Cheney. And the fifth Republican, Mike Bost, I'm not sure what he did. So what does this say about their courage not to even be in the room when such a controversial vote is taken? Oh, and they, they may have their eyes on, you know, running again in 2022 for the job they have or another job. 
Well, I, I don't don't read anything into the misvote because when the earlier vote on uh, upholding Cheney's job as the number three leader in the conference, there was debate for hours. So they had no reason, I guess, to know that this would be gaveled through so quickly. Uh, what I do say is Rodney Davis and Ray LaHood, excuse me, Darren LaHood, uh, contemplate a statewide office is that this wasn't a hard question to answer. And if, if reporters, you know, call, then, you know, get someone to answer. Now, again, there were published reports that reporters who saw them uh, in in the Capitol, they, you know, they gave the comments that I just uh, passed along to you. So the vote itself, if you miss it, I get it. Uh, not having the uh, wanting to try and minimize your profile on this case, which is important in Illinois, because no matter what you do, it's difficult. If you're against Liz Cheney, that's better for a Republican primary. If you were for her, it's better in a general election. Yeah. That's Lynn Sweet of the Sun-Times, thanks to her. Also to Ray Log of the Tribune, Greg Hines of Cranes, and Heather Sharon of WTTW. Up next, Lauren Cohn. This is Connected to Chicago. Podcasts are available online at WLSAM.com. I'm Lauren Cohn for Connected to Chicago, and as restrictions loosen and diners venture back out, there is concern about getting workers back on the job. Sam Toy is the president and CEO of the Illinois Restaurant Association. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Sam, what's the status of the Small Business Administration accepting applications for grants from the Restaurant Revitalization Fund? Well, you know, that opened up last week, and it went very, very well, A lot, you know, over a hundred and Wow, it was like oh, close to 180,000 restaurants uh, applied. Um, and, you know, the SBA now is accepting applications for the Restaurant Revitalization Fund and um, has started distributing some funds as well. Over 16,000 restaurants that was announced uh, have already been okayed and distributed funds. Uh, you know, the President Biden said there's enough funding for up to a Probably 100,000 restaurants, as I mentioned, probably about 180,000 restaurants uh, plus have applied for the Restaurant Revitalization Fund, which is a grant. So that's why we've been talking to our elected officials on the federal level, like Senator Duckworth and Senator Durbin, that we need to replenish the RRF so everyone could have a, you know, a crack at getting a grant um, to make sure they keep their restaurants in business because it's estimated that we could lose up to 5,000 restaurants here in the state of Illinois. We began the pandemic with over 25,000 drinking and eating establishments here in the state of Illinois. We lose 5,000. That's over 20%, uh, which would really be hard uh, to all our you know towns here throughout the state of Illinois, from Peoria to Rockford to Springfield to East St. Louis to Chicago to Schaumburg, um, uh, you know, because restaurants are the soul of every neighborhood here in the state of Illinois and throughout the country. Sam Toya, President and CEO of the Illinois Restaurant Association. Thank you for joining me. I'm Lauren Cohn for Connected to Chicago. That's our show for this week. Thanks to Matt Mellon for production assistance. I'm Bill Cameron, WLS News. Connected to Chicago with Bill Cameron, a production of WLS News. Podcasts are available online at WLSAM.com.